Well, take your Bible, let's go back to Proverbs chapter one. Hopefully you saved some space at the end of your notes from yesterday to write a few more. Proverbs chapter one, we'll look again at verse number 10, and I want you to read it with me. So find it, Proverbs chapter one, and let's read again verse 10. Intentional rebels, God commands it. Verse 10, let's read it together, ready, begin. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Intentional rebellion. Intentionally rebelling against evil. Intentionally rebelling against the egoistical. Intentionally rebelling against the extravagant, the erotic, the effortless. When God looks at our life, he is intensely interested in change. Salvation is a change. It's a radical, instantaneous change the moment you put your trust in Christ. You become a new creature immediately. Your position changes from being lost to being saved. From on your way to hell to on your way to heaven, instantaneous, radical. At that very moment of faith, you become a new creature in Christ. Salvation, it's change. Sanctification is a gradual change. Salvation is that time that begins after we get saved where God begins to change our life to become more like him. That doesn't happen overnight. That's something that happens every day as we get into his word, as we hear preaching, as God begins to show us his will for our life, we begin to conform to his image. And that takes time, just like the potter puts the clay on the wheel and he fashions it, he molds it, he shapes it, and it takes time to apply the pressure and, 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 and the water and all those things that are gonna craft this beautiful vessel. That's sanctification, it takes your whole life for God to fashion you into his image. But it's change, it's gradual change, it's day by day change. Then there's glorification. That's what happens when we die, that's what happens at the rapture, immediately another change. We're gonna be in his presence, we're gonna be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So our whole life is about change with God. He wants to save us. He wants to sanctify us, and eventually he's gonna glorify us. So it's all about change. Now to change, you have to have two principles working. If I said, you know, man, I got a little, I got a little wrinkle in this tie, I just noticed it, it's kind of distractive. I should have caught that before I put it on. You know, I, th I think I'm gonna change my tie. Um, it, it, it's wrinkled, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't like that, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go change my tie. Well, that would mean that I'm going to take this tie off, and I'm going to put another tie on in its place. That's what you would think of if I said, I'm going to go change my tie. You wouldn't expect me to walk off this platform if I said, I'm gonna go change my tie, give me a second. I'm gonna go change my tie. You wouldn't expect me to come back with another tie on over the top of this tie, right? That wouldn't be changing ties, that would be adding ties. That would be kind of dumb. 
Maybe we could start a new trend. But that, that wouldn't be change. That would be addition. But you wouldn't expect me also if I said I'm going to change ties to walk off the platform, take my tie off, and come back without a tie. Because that would simply be taking off but not putting anything on in its place. So change involves both putting off and putting on. For me to accurately change ties, I've got to take this one off and I've got to replace it with a different tie. That's what change is. So as God is changing us to be like him, he is telling us there are some things we've got to rebel at. We've, that, that is, we've got to resist it. We've got to put it out of our life. We've got to put it off, as Ephesians 4 says. Put off the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And we've got to then, in verse 24, put on the new man. Right? We've got to put something on in its place. So the book of Proverbs, as we said yesterday, spends a lot of time telling us what to embrace. It tells us, hey, you've got to get around these people. You've got to get these things into your life. You've got to put them on. But be careful you don't just add, 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 add. Somewhere if change is going to take place, you've got to take off. You've got to put off. And that's why he starts this book with, my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Before God can add something into our life, we've got to take off what is contrary to God. And so what we're talking about yesterday and today is this matter of really putting off, rebelling against that which is going to hurt our life, which is going to destroy what God has for our life. We want to intentionally rebel against those areas. So we talked about putting off evil or rebelling against evil, rebelling against the egoistical person, the pride that can creep into our life, Rebelling against the extravagant, not living for the material, but living for the eternal. Putting off the erotic, the sexual temptations, those things that appeal to our flesh. We've got to rebel against that intentionally because the world is just flooding us with that kind of information. We've got to be intentional about resisting that and then to resist or rebel against the effortless. We've got to learn how to work. We've got to learn how to put on labor. Well, what's next? We need to intentionally rebel against the embellisher. Are your words accurate? Are your words truthful? Do you speak lies? Do you embellish information in order to gossip or to slander or to hurt someone? The Bible has a lot to say in the book of Proverbs about our speech. It has a lot to say about the person who uses lying words or embellished words to exaggerate or to, to cause gossip to take place or slander. In fact, Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our words matter. 
How we say those words matters. A wicked doer giveth heed to false lips. A liar giveth ear to a naughty tongue. We've got to intentionally rebel against lies. We've got to intentionally rebel against false witness. We've got to intentionally rebel against a gossiping tongue, a tale-bearer. Proverbs 14, verse 5, a faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. How truthful are you? Do you tell the truth? Do you speak the truth? Do you think about what you say? Do you pray over what you say? In Proverbs 25, verse 18, a man that beareth false witness is a maul, a sword, and a sharp arrow. You are a weapon of destruction when you spread rumors, when you spread false information about other people in order to destroy their life. When you you characterize certain groups in a stereotyped way to degrade them, whether it be an ethnic group, whether it be a lifestyle group, we must be careful about our words. A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. Do you tell the truth to the teacher about your assignments? Did you actually read the handbook before you signed the agreement that said you did? He that speaketh lies shall not escape. A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. Oh, the power of our words the power of our speech, and and we can so casually, so glibly utter words not thinking about perhaps the damage they could cause or the, the, the testimony that they could ruin or the cause of Christ that they could hinder. Make sure your words edify. Make sure your words encourage. Make sure you have words that will evangelize those who may not know Christ. had a young lady come up to me at camp. She seemed pretty frustrated. And her first words to me were, I can't take this anymore. I said, what's going on? She said, well, when I'm at church, my parents, they act like I'm the greatest teenager that ever lived. They brag on me. They tell everybody how great I am. They tell me, they tell people how, what a great family we have, how much we love each other and all this kind of stuff. And she said, people at church think we have an awesome family. But she said, we go out to the car after church, get in the car and my parents will say, shut up, wish you were dead. That girl was on the verge of suicide because words in her life being spoken to her were not consistent. On one hand, there was a a complimentary word being given to impress other people, but in private, she was being destroyed by those same people with 
words. We can come in here in chapel and we can sing songs about God and sing songs of praise and go back to our room and cut down our roommate or cut down a teacher or gossip about somebody on campus and ruin our testimony. And in the process, ruin a life. We must intentionally rebel against the embellisher. Number seven, we must intentionally rebel against the enraged. The enraged. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, verse 17, he that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. Now, do we all get angry? Yeah. There are things that in the course of a day can cause us to be frustrated, can cause us to be angry, ticked off, as we might say. Man, and we get angry. But we must be careful to intentionally rebel against that anger when it props up in our life. Just as we must rebel against that lustful thought or that prideful look, we must rebel against that temptation to become angry. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. A lot, of the, a lot of the contentions, a lot of the things that happen on a campus or in a dorm room or at an activity or in a ball game could be solved very quickly if we would intentionally rebel against anger. Proverbs 14, verse 29, He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is of hasty spirit exalteth folly. When we get angry at a situation, we only make that situation worse. We make it more of a problem. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. God says a Christian who has his anger, his temper under control, is more powerful than a Navy SEAL. He's saying if you can rule your spirit, you have more Fortitude, you have more strength, you have more power than somebody who takes a city. We've got to intentionally rebel against anger. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. When you allow anger to come into your life, you, you're, you're, you're taking down all of your defense system and the devil has access to you. You have given him ground with which to work. Anger does more damage to the container in which it is stored than on anything it is poured. See, when things trouble us or anger us, we want to express that. We want, we want to get that out. Some psychologists even promote it. Go out and scream. <laughs> Go out and cuss. Go out and hit something. Carthicism. Let it all out. That's the natural temptation to just let that, that frustration or that disappointment or that anger come out in some way. We think that when we get angry and we yell at somebody or we speak unkindly to somebody or we get even with somebody that, boy, we made them pay. Boy, I put a little salt in their wound. But the truth is that anger is doing more damage to the container in which it's stored than on anything it's poured. We must intentionally rebel against the enraged. Number eight, 
we must intentionally rebel against the enslaving. The enslaving. Rebel against those things that become addictive in your life. What in your life this morning can you not live without? What do you have to have? Could be almost anything. Proverbs 21, verse 17 says, He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. And he that loveth oil and wine shall not be rich. What he's speaking about there are the things that appeal to our, our fleshly lust, those things that we get involved in that become habit-forming, those, those, those comfort levels that we fall back to that, that, that make us feel good, and, and they become habits of life. And God says if we submit ourselves to that which enslaves us, that which becomes addictive in our life, we're going to be a poor man. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of the flesh, for the drunkard and glutton shall come to poverty. We think of alcohol as something addictive. We think of drugs as something addictive. But there's a lot of other things that are addictive. Pornography is addictive. Food is addictive. Sleep is addictive. Oh, Brother Gatch, talk about drugs. You know, talk about vaping or something. Video games are addictive. Oh, really, guys, now I'm out of here. I, I can't take any more of this. But let's be honest. We can become addictive. We can become enslaved to things in our life that, that may in and of themselves not be sinful like alcohol or drugs. We think of that as an addiction. We think of gambling as an addiction that would destroy a person's livelihood or his family. We, we think of those things and say, oh man, you, you need to stop. Stop smoking that weed, man. You're gonna, you're gonna end up a mess. Stop, stop drinking, it's ruining you. Stop smoking, you know, whatever it is. We think of those areas, but what about? That video game that you just have to play. Can you quit? Can you discipline yourself to say, I'm going to play for an hour and that's it? What are those things that you're battling that are addictive in your life? Jesus said we must deny ourselves. Take up our cross and follow him. It's interesting, we, we think we can quit these things. We, we think, well, you know, it's no big deal and, and uh, I'm not addicted to it. I, I can quit anytime I want to. But it's interesting what God says about alcohol in, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 23. He said, who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babblings, who hath wounds without a cause? They that tarry long at wine, they that seek after mixed wine, look not thou upon the cup, Intentionally rebel. Look not thou upon the cup when it's red, when it moveth itself aright, when it giveth its color in the cup. For at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. Thine heart shall utter perverse things. Thou shalt be as he that lieth upon the top of the staff or that he that lieth in the midst of the sea. In the morning, 
I'll seek it yet again. See, we think, I can just lay it down. I can just stop. Some of you thought when you came to Bible college that you'd never look at pornography again. Where are you? You thought, if I get in the right environment, I can quit this. The truth is, when something becomes addictive in your life, you can't stop. And so we've got to intentionally rebel at those things that become enslaving in our life. That might be a certain kind of food that that is destroying your health. That might be something very terrible like drugs. But it might be as simple as loving sleep. The enslaving. What is addicted? What are you addicted to in your life? We must intentionally rebel. Number nine, the envious. We must intentionally rebel against envy. It's easy to look at our life and wish it were different. It's easy to look at our gifts or our talents and wish we had someone else's. It's easy to look at our opportunities and wish we had more or wish we had less or wish we had someone else's. It's easy to look at our things, our material blessings, and and wish we had something different or something more. we got to be careful to intentionally rebel against the envious. Proverbs 24, 19, Fret not thyself because of evil men, neither be thou envious at the wicked. You know what the devil's going to tell us here at Bible College? He's going to tell you you're missing something. He's going to tell you, ah, man, you're stuck at that Bible college. They don't let you do nothing. Man, that, that, that handbook that you didn't read, it's got so many rules in it. And you can't do this, can't do that. And the devil's going to convince you that, that God, following God, forces you to miss something. That was the whole tactic of Satan in the Garden of Eden. He's saying, Eve, why would God withhold that tree? That tree must be really good because God's not letting you have it. Why would he withhold it? I thought he was good. I thought he loved you. I thought he cared about you. Why why is he forbidding that tree? And the devil's going to come along in Bible college. He's going to say, here you are. You're you're stuck training for the ministry. You're stuck here in a Bible college with all these rules. You can't do this, can't do that. You can't be free. You can't be yourself. You're missing out. And it's easy to start envying the foolish. It's easy to start envying the wicked. Man, I wish I could just go get drunk. Man, I wish I could just go to a party. I wish I could just go watch a a bad movie. I wish I could just, right? Envy thou not the oppressor. Choose none of his ways. Intentionally rebel. Be not thou envious against evil men. Neither desire to be with them. Your friends are going to call you from back home. Hey, man, we miss you. Man, we had a great party last weekend. Wish you could have been there. Rebel. Rebel. Proverbs 23, 17, Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Learn to be content in the will of God. It's the only safe place. It's the only blessed place. It's the only fruitful place. Learn to be content. Paul said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You've got to learn it. It doesn't come natural. 
But in your circumstances, whatever they are, learn contentment. Don't be wishing I, I was this or that. Hey, most of you are single. Be content. When God's ready for you to get married, he'll, 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 he'll let you get married. It's coming. Hang on. Look around. <laughs> you know, get to know somebody, but, but be content. If you were married right now, you probably wouldn't be in school. You wouldn't be able to afford it. I mean, we only have five married students. It's tough. It's hard to find a house in Lancaster to rent for under $2,000 a month. You got that? You got that figured out? You know, sometimes in college, we, we want something. It's not a bad thing, but we're, we're, we're I, Lord, you know, I, I don't, I'm not happy here. I, I want to get past this. I want to go to the next stage. Be content. That's coming. And by the way, if it's God's will for you to get married, he'll provide the $2,000 a month to find a house. If that's God's will, it'll be fine. But right now, be content where you are. I'm a freshman. I got some things to learn. I'm a senior. I, I've got a few more months to, to train, to get ready, to go out, to get equipped. So, so be content where you are, whatever it is. Intentionally rebel against the envious. Number 10, the embittered. Rebel against the embittered. Have you noticed that most of our culture walks around with a chip on their shoulder? It just seems like everybody's mad at somebody. Everybody's upset about something, and it drives them. It's like their motivation to life. They have this chip on their shoulder. Somebody did something toward them, and now their whole life is about getting even. Their whole life is about revenge. Their whole life is about showing somebody up. You know what the Bible says about that? You've got to intentionally rebel. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 29, say not thou. In other words, God says, don't say this. Say not thou, I will do to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. God says, don't say it. Don't even think it. Somebody mistreats you. It ought not to be your thought. I'm getting even. Somebody does you injustice. Your first thought ought not to be. I'm going to make him pay. God says, don't say it. Say not thou, Proverbs 20, 22. He says it this way. Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord and he will save you. We've got to intentionally rebel against that embitterness that can come into our life and destroy us. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it and, dis and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Proverbs 10 and verse 12, hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. One of the greatest revivals in record in the Bible is the revival at Nineveh under the preaching of Jonah. One sermon and the whole city repented in sackcloth and ashes and turned back to God. Perhaps the greatest revival on any pages of history the revival at Nineveh under the preaching of Jonah. But here's the sad thing. Everybody had revival except the evangelist. 
Because when it was all over, Jonah's sitting under a tree, bitter, angry. I knew what you would do, God. I knew. That's why I didn't go the first time. I knew you'd forgive them. I knew you'd give them mercy. They don't deserve it. Bitterness. Everybody has revival except the preacher. And you're going out to serve the Lord. You're going out this weekend to pass out tracts. You're going uh, places to minister. And if you're not careful, if you don't intentionally rebel against embitterness, you don't intentionally rebel against that root of bitterness that can come into your life and entangle you. You're going to see God do a great work in this world, but you're going to be left out. Rebel against the embittered. Number 11, the estranged. The estranged. How is it with you and your family? How is it between you and your parents? I know we're in college. And I know we're away from them for the most part. And I know when you turn 18 and you go to college, you, you tend to feel that independence that comes with adulthood. And that's a great stage. But the Lord doesn't put a timetable on honor thy father and thy mother. In fact, in Proverbs 23 and verse 22, the Bible says, Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Do you despise your parents in some way now because you're mature and they're old? In Proverbs 6 and verse 20, my son, keep thy father's commandment. Forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them about thine heart. Tie them around thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. When thou walkest, it shall talk with thee. Those things that your parents have put into your life are to be carefully guarded. They're to be carefully protected. That guidance, that instruction, those things that they've helped you along the way get to this point are not to be rejected now. And the devil will try to pull you away from your family. He'll try to pull you away from those that have invested in you. And God says you've got to intentionally rebel against the estranged. Whoso curseth his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. Proverbs 30, verse 17, the eye that mocketh at his father or despiseth to obey his mother. Have you ever watched a, a young person when their parents are talking to them? Maybe it's after service teenager wants to go maybe with his friends and get some ice cream or something and he goes to his mom dad hey can i go with my friends we're gonna go get some ice cream and and maybe mom is saying well son you gotta be home by 10 you know you got school tomorrow have you ever watched that teenager's eyes when their authority their mom or dad are talking to him you watch 
Sometimes they're rolling their eyes like, oh, come on, get this over with. You're embarrassing me, Mom. Sometimes they're just kind of looking down like, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes they're staring at them like, the eye that mocketh his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pluck it out and the eagle shall eat it. Watch out for those black birds out there. I don't think that verse is literal in its interpretation, but what God is saying there is if you have an eye to despise your parents or mock your mom or your dad, there's judgment coming. Something's going to be taken away from you. You're going to lose something. Don't allow the devil to estrange you from your parents, from your family. Rebel against that. I was preaching one night in the state of Montana. And I believe it was a Tuesday night I preached on the home. I preached on several aspects of the home and husbands and wives and parents and children and all of our proper responses out of Ephesians 5 and 6. There were two young men sitting near the front. They were, they were roommates. They lived off campus. They were college students, but they lived off campus in an apartment that they shared. And they both had gotten saved through that church and were very faithful to the church, but they were relatively young Christians. And I preached on the home and I actually thought about the fact that a lot of what I was saying really wasn't applying to them. I mean, they, they weren't married, they didn't have a wife, they, they didn't have children. And so those points along that line, I, I felt like I was kind of right over their head. I figured they had parents, but you know, they're in college now. And so even that point wasn't really relative in a sense. After the service, um, they went out and the next night, only one of them returned. And I didn't think a lot about it. I, I thought, well, maybe he had a class tonight or you know, maybe he's sick or not feeling well or whatever. And I didn't think too much about it. Following night, same thing. Only the one came, not the other. And so I said to the one that came, I said, hey, where's your buddy? I missed him. He said, oh, Brother Gutch, he after that message Tuesday night, he, he came home and he jumped in his car. He's driving to North Carolina to get right with his parents. I don't know if you need to jump in your car. Maybe you need to pick up your phone. Intentionally rebel against becoming estranged from those that have loved you and cared for you and invested in your life. Make sure that you're honoring mom and dad. And then finally, and very quickly, this one, but rebel intentionally against the excluding. And I save this one for last because I mean in this word, excluding themselves from truth those that would exclude themselves from what the Bible says. There might be a, such a person here in this room today saying, well, I'm in chapel and I'm listening to this guy, but I don't, I don't, I'm not going to do any of it. 
I don't think it's really that important. You want to intentionally rebel against someone that is excluding their life from the truth of God's word. You, if, if, if you have someone in your dorm that never reads their Bible, never talks about the Bible, never talks about preaching, never talks about decisions in their life, be careful. Proverbs 13, verse 13, Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed, but he that feareth the commandment shall be rewarded. And so as we hear God's word, whatever it is, whether it encourages us, whether it convicts us, whether it challenges us, whatever the word of God does, we never want to be in the place where we're going, ah, that stuff doesn't matter. That stuff isn't relative to my life. Intentionally rebel against those excluding the word of God from their life. I was preaching at a camp. There was a young man there, his name was John. John was a, a very intelligent young man. He probably one of the smartest teenagers I've ever met as far as his intelligence. He knew the Bible very well, but he wasn't saved. And John had a lot of influence. He was very charismatic in his personality. People liked him. I liked him. I talked to him every day. It's easy to talk to. And really, as a teenager, could talk to you on an adult level about a lot of things, including the Bible. But John wasn't saved. And John was very much opposed to the Bible. He would listen to it, but in his mind, he would think of arguments against it. Whenever we finished the service, you, you'd walk outside and John would always have 20, 30, sometimes 50 or 60 kids around him and he's telling them everything that was untrue about the message. It was amazing. I stood there and listened to him. Like, wow. And he had these kids just listening to him and, and by the middle of the week, it was like he had this, this almost demonic presence. He just had this ability to, to pull people away from truth. And we were concerned, obviously, as, as the leadership of the camp, the counselors and things were praying that God would break through this, this stronghold that seemed almost satanic and deal with John. We were focused on John. Lord, deal with John. Wednesday night, one of the young ladies that was highly influenced by John, she was a senior, she was also very influential as far as the girl side of things, but in the invitation on Wednesday night, she stepped out and came forward and was wonderfully saved. The next morning, we had a testimony time, and that girl stood up, and she turned around, she was sitting in the front, she turned around and pointed right at John in the back, and she said, John, I'm glad I got saved. I'm not going to hell with you. I have Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, that testimony broke that thing wide open. And now kids were coming to get saved, and they were saying the same thing. John, I'm not going to hell with you. Christian kids were saying, I'm not following you anymore. I'm going to follow the Word of God. They were intentionally rebelling. Well, there was one little kid. He was a Hispanic kid, and I don't remember his name. I want to say it was Juan, but I'm not positive of that. 
He was, he was about seventh grader, John was senior, and he was John's right-hand man. I mean, everywhere John went, this little Juan would go, and he, he, uh, he loved John, he looked up to him, and, and by the last day of camp, he was the only kid that hadn't gotten saved, as far as we knew. He was still hanging on to John. And the last service, I remember that little kid was tormented by the conviction. I mean, you could just see it on his face. He knows he needs to get saved, but he's just, he's held by this power of John. Gave the invitation, he didn't come. They had the campfire service, testimony time. And these kids started giving their testimonies. And they pointed at this little seventh grade kid and they'd say, leave John, let him go to hell. And I mean, John's sitting right there. Let him go to hell. You need to get saved. Come and get saved. Don't go to hell. I mean, every one of them stand up and point right at this kid and preach into him. And finally, about halfway through that, that little kid, he jumped up in the air and he pointed at John. He said, John, I'm not going to hell with you. I'm going to get saved. And he ran out and trusted Christ. He intentionally rebelled against the person that was excluding truth in his life. By the way, that intentional rebellion by those teenagers had an impact on John. Not that week, but a few months later, John trusted Christ. Went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Wouldn't have been my recommendation, but he went to Moody Bible Institute and today is a missionary because somebody intentionally rebelled, put off, so that you can put on and change can take place, which glorifies our Lord.